Back in 2012, two murders slipped past Springfield investigators. A father and son died seemingly from natural causes. However, suspicions rise when another family member falls ill and is hospitalized. Police received a tip that something more sinister could be happening to this Missouri family. Soon the police start to wonder what or who could be killing off this family one by one. When you thought there's no way it could get any more bizarre or any more strange, it just it kept going that way over and over and over again. I'm not familiar with anything like this that would in Greene County where we would have a family member killing off members of their family. I went to the door and she came out and she was very friendly and I said, hi, I I'm your neighbor that lives a couple houses over, and we noticed the coroner's van was in your driveway. Are you okay? And she said, well, my son died today. She wasn't even crying. She didn't look like she had been crying. From Color 10 News and Ozarks Fox, this is Crime Traveler, a look back on criminal acts in the Ozarks and the news investigations that followed them. I'm Sarah Scarlett. Diane and her husband, Mark Stoddy, lived in Springfield on Page Street. Diane was the church organist at Redeemer Lutheran, and Mark was the lead singer and guitarist of a local blues band called Messing with Destiny. The high school sweethearts had their hands full with raising four children. Though being in a band is fun, it can be hard to bring in a steady income on just performing, so Mark would occasionally bartend. However, with Diane's nursing career, she becomes the real breadwinner of the household, and the couple face challenges with raising their children. Fourth grader Brianna has a learning disability, Sean has autism, and Sarah is a college grad still living at home with no job and a mountain of student debt. Rachel, however, is a star student and could be considered the golden child in this family. She's a musician, she plays flute, um, she loves math. She loves chemistry. She's a great artist. Um, she loves rough poetry by Bukowski. She loves Howl's Moving Castle, not just the movie, but the novel. She's well read. Ron Davis, a reporter in Springfield, says Rachel was by far her mother's favorite. She was her mom's confidant. They were actually like friends on Facebook and like talking back and forth all the time on Facebook. And Sarah graduated from like college and mom's like, congrats. But every time R Rachel did something, she's like, you are the greatest human being ever. Tragedy would strike the Stoddy family when 61-year-old Mark dies suddenly in April 2012. Despite the death being sudden, since Mark didn't lead a very healthy lifestyle, his death was ruled to be of natural causes. Diane received $20,000 due to Mark's life insurance policy and moved her family to a new neighborhood and into a larger home. Sudden death would strike the Stoddy family once again. Sean is dead at 26. According to the police report, Diane told police that Sean had flu-like symptoms for three weeks. Just like his father's death, Sean was ruled to have died of natural causes. After dad died, he was cremated, so there was no autopsy. He was over 60. After the son died, they did an autopsy. They found some lesions on the brain, but they didn't really go much further because mom said, well, he'd had some seizures before, and so they just took her at her word. However, neighbors would find Diane's behavior to be very strange. Rhonda Anderson lives just across the street from a neighbor so private she only met once. I went to the door, and she came out, and she was very friendly, and I said, hi, I... I'm your neighbor that lives a couple houses over, and we noticed the coroner's van was in your driveway. Are you okay? 
And she said, well, my son died today. Anderson went to console who she thought would be a grieving mother. She wasn't even crying. She didn't look like she had been crying. And another thing that bothered me was that no other people came to the house. In 2013, police received a tip from someone who claims to be close to the Stoddy family. We received an anonymous tip of her daughter, one of her daughters, Sarah, that was hospitalized with an unknown condition. And we were told at that time that, that Sarah, it appeared that she was not going to make it. And so the anonymous tip essentially said that there had been two deaths in the Stoudy family. And now with Sarah being critically ill with no other known medical issues, that there was a lot of suspicion in terms of what was going on. And also based on uh, Diane's reaction, apparently Diane was showing no emotion according to the tipster. And so there was a lot of suspicion that was kind of cast her way because of that. Detective Neil McAmis with the Springfield Police Department started to look back at the files regarding Mark and Sean's death. Really the only similarity between the two, it was described on both of them that they had some kind of unknown substance or possibly blood coming from their mouth. And other than that, that was really it. It was described in Mark's report that he had a bunch of health problems. And so it was just attributed to all the health problems that he was, he was going through. Um, where Sean, Sean was, uh, he was a special needs uh, child um, that had some issues, but in terms of, you know, for him, for his death, that, it was a bit of a surprise. But when, when they went in and, and did the autopsy on Sean, they discovered, you know, he had uh, some lesions on his brain, which contributed to some seizures. And they, they thought at that point, it was that is at what caused Sean's passing. What's even more concerning is Sarah's doctor tells the detective they're unable to figure out what exactly is afflicting her. When I first reached out to, to speak with the doctor that was treating Sarah, they had told me that they had uh, gone through just about every test that that they could think to do on her and, and they were not getting any kind of information back from that. They said based on that, that uh, poisoning could be a possibility based on what they were seeing. Detective McAmos decides it's time for Diane to answer a few questions. She agreed to come down and, and speak with me. And again, at that point, we, we had no evidence of anything going on. They had done tests on Sarah at the hospital and there was nothing that was detected at that point. So it was just, a, it started out as an informational interview to see what kind of things that I could gather from Diane. During the interview, Diane seemed extremely calm but Detective McAmos had to be careful throughout the interview. I had to be very careful in speaking with her because is this somebody that has just been terribly unlucky, you know, that her family has had these uh, terrible tragedies, or is it something a lot more sinister? So it was a real fine line to try to walk in, in, in trying to interview her at, at that point. As the interview progressed, things just weren't adding up. So Detective McAmos turned up the heat. I kind of started to put a little bit more pressure on her about what was going on. And, and Diane had a history in nursing. And when she just couldn't really explain why this was going on, and she gave a couple of explanations that just really didn't make sense. 
I put a little, I started to put a little bit more pressure on her just to see where it would go. With the interview heating up, cracks start to appear in Diane's story. It was just a real gradual, like chipping away at her story. And it eventually just kind of started to unravel for her to where it just kind of seemed to slip a little bit more and more and more until the point where she finally started talking about antifreeze. At first, Diane says Mark and Sean were drinking antifreeze as a way to commit suicide. But she eventually confesses that she was the one giving it to them without their knowledge. You know, you're in an interview room with somebody like this. And first of all, this this case is, you know, nobody wanted to believe it. Like, there's no way this could happen. We're in Springfield, Missouri. This is something that you turn on the TV and, and watch. And so there was just like no way that this could be going on. But then uh, as it progressed and then you're trying to maintain and keep that poker face because you don't want the, the, the suspect to, to see any emotion from you. So it's on the inside, you know, my heart is pounding, uh, you know, my stomach's going crazy. Uh, but you just you're trying to maintain as much of a, a poker face as possible to not not let it show to the suspect. So it was just a, it was a crazy range of emotion. Like, I can't believe I'm what I'm hearing. Um, and then just uh, also the realization of sitting across from somebody that, I mean, really is the, what what Diane was doing was pure evil. What shocked the detective more than the act was the reason behind it. It was really shocking the reasons that she that she gave and described. She she said she just hated Mark. She her words were she hated his guts. And then she talked about Sean being a burden. And uh, I think. I believe the the words that she used is that he was worse than a pest. And so that that's what she gave for them. And, and with Sarah, uh, again, just shocking. She said that Sarah had student loans that needed to be paid and Sarah wasn't working and just was going to get her out of the way. It was, it, like I said, extremely shocking. With Diane's confession, she immediately is taken into custody. Case closed, right? Not even close. There's another twist to this already twisted story. We had a, our crime scene team was, was executing a search warrant at the Stouty residence. And one of our crime scene officers found a, a journal or, or a diary. That diary belongs to none other than Diane's daughter, Rachel. The contents inside are more than a little concerning for investigators. It essentially was detailed out. Rachel detailed in the diary that about the upcoming deaths of both Mark and Sean, how she knew it was happening and that, you know, she was trying to come to terms with it and that things were going to be okay. And so that was, that was where the real, uh, the tipping point right there in terms of the investigation of, of Rachel turning up. Now it's time for Rachel to answer a few questions. I went down and contacted Rachel where, where she was staying and she agreed to come to the police department for, for an interview. And it just, it was, a uh, a lot like Diane's in, in terms of the, the fact that the, the interview started out just, just like a normal information gathering. And it got to the point where as, as the interview progressed, I confronted her about the, the journal entry and she explained it away as she was having these dreams, these bad dreams, and she just was expressing herself uh, with the dreams into the journal. So that was her initial explanation of, of why she wrote about that. Rachel confesses to helping her mother take out their family one by one. She also explains why the two decided on antifreeze poisoning. Rachel told me that both her and her mother did a lot of research. Um, they, they looked into poisonous plants, she said. They looked into other methods. 
uh, of poison. She said they they eventually decided to go with antifreeze because uh, it, they could they could get tasteless antifreeze, and that's what they came came up with and decided to go that route. Both reporter Ron Davis and Detective McAmos believe Rachel downplayed her role in the murders. What was so so stunning about it all is at the end she told me that uh, that after Sarah that they were going to kill the the youngest daughter as well and then it was just going to be Rachel and Diane. Rachel was was the golden child and you could just tell um, as I talked about earlier in discussing Rachel with Diane you could just see it on her face almost that you know Rachel was the one and then when I spoke with with Rachel about it she said it just wanted it to be her and her mother that they understood each other and they got along and it was just going to be them and in this bizarre way they were going to live happily ever after together. I really want to talk to Rachel Stoudard because uh, somebody who is that gifted and that center at that young age. I mean, that's a really brilliant human being. They could do a lot of good. Um, too bad she ended up killing a couple of people. But I'd really like to get to know her motivation because with that sort of intellect, I think she could have maybe talked her mom out of it. Diane and Rachel Stoddy each pleaded guilty to two counts of murder in 2016. At the trial, Rachel apologized to her family for her part in killing her father and brother. I'm sorry that I couldn't find the courage to stand up for what was right, <laughs> to go for help, to protect you and our siblings. I was scared that being scared is no excuse. Sarah, who doctors say was on death's doorstep, would survive and also spoke to her sister and mother. I forgive my mom for what she did to me. But she not only took away my dad and brother, but she took away my life style, motherhood, and my independence. Rachel hadn't been convicted of a crime. She would have gone to college and graduated and have a job. And I do forgive her for what she did. Diane Stoddy was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Rachel Stoddy, who had agreed to testify against her mother if necessary, was also sentenced to life in prison. But she'll be eligible for parole after 42 and a half years behind bars. Um, I'm all for rehabilitation and redemption. I think if anybody could be redeemed, it would be Rachel Stoddy. She's smart enough to overcome, but um, that's an appallingly light sentence for somebody who killed two human beings. No, Rachel was very, she was very intelligent, uh, really easy to carry on the conversation with. She, uh, she, was on the, she was on the honor roll at Missouri State. And yeah, so it, it just, it just all, every time, like with this case, I remember saying, there's no way it can get more bizarre. There's no way it can get more crazy. It just, it did at every turn. Our producer is Christina Randall. Our executive producers are Tony Wynn and Chris Six. Our research team is Eric Ritas and Lisa Hamblin. And our social media producer, Emily Kuschel. I'm Sarah Scarlett. Thanks for listening.